If you have your Bibles, you'll turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter, chapter 2. We'll be looking at some different passages uh, today. The title of our sermon is Alleluia Moments. Tonight, our Christmas by candlelight is Christmas Alleluia. Now, there's some of you that probably are like me saying, is it Alleluia or is it Hallelujah? Uh, does, it, does it start with an A or does it start with an H? Well, Hallelujah uh, comes from the Hebrew word, and that's where we get hallelujah. And then when you get to the Greek and Latin, it takes that same translation and makes it hallelujah with an A. And, but both of them mean the exact same thing. Hallelujah, it means praise be to God. Praise the Lord. And so anytime you see in Scripture where it says hallelujah, it means praise to the Lord. If you see hallelujah, it's praise to the Lord. Now, most of the times when we use it, we use them together. When someone says, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Is that right? Hallelujah. I don't have a choir back here, so I'm, uh, it's empty. <laughs> so you guys have got to answer. So you say, hallelujah, praise the Lord. <clears throat> In essence, what you're saying is, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. That's what hallelujah means. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. That took me back to vacation Bible school. Some of you are already smiling. You remember that when you sing that? You put your kids on one side and kids on the other side, and you go, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. And then what would they do? Praise ye the Lord. Yeah, you remember that. And then, hallelujah, hallelujah, praise ye Lord, praise ye Lord, hallelujah, praise ye Lord. And you go and get faster and faster. Ah, you get them all worked up. And, uh, and then they call the speaker up. <laughs> and the kids are wired. But hallelujah, praise the Lord. And throughout Scripture, you'll see that to where the psalmist or so will write, and then he'll begin to say, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And there were certain things that he would say. And when he would say it, it was like it was an hallelujah moment. It was just a moment to where, God, you just naturally just need to praise him. There was something that took place to where it brought your mind back to God, and you say, you know what? That's a hallelujah moment. And as followers of Christ, and those who believe in God and believe in his son and follow him, there are moments in our lives that God has so ordained and so deserving of praise that we want to shout, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And we call these hallelujah moments, hallelujah moments. And you've experienced them, that birth of a child. And when that child is born, it's a hallelujah, praise the Lord. Uh, that time that, that, that you asked someone to marry you and they said yes, you go, that's an hallelujah moment. For some of you, just getting a date is hallelujah moment. On the yes, he said yes, or yes, she said yes. Hallelujah moment, I got a good report from the doctor. Hallelujah moment, we, meet, we met the goal of this incredible step of faith and all of a sudden everything worked out and we came to the end and it's, it's an hallelujah moment. It's an hallelujah moment that I graduated. It's an hallelujah moment, I got straight A's. It's an hallelujah moment, I just passed my final. Hallelujah. Those are things that happen in our life and they're hallelujah moments all throughout our lives to where when something happens, we just got to stop and we say, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And when you look at the Christmas story, and, and as I've read through it over and over, I believe that it is a story that is chalked full of hallelujah moments and hallelujah moments that were needed for Joseph and for Mary. 
Now let's just follow it. We're gonna, we will walk through about three of the passages and, and begin to, to get a gist of, of what I'm talking about. You know the, the story as, as God uh, came, as an angel came to Mary and said that you will be the one who will uh, carry uh, God's son. Then he came to Joseph to let him know about the plan too. And, uh, and they said, uh, you know, he, he was going to be the savior of the world. And so they're all prepared. And they go through this time of, of her pregnancy. And she gets close to about nine months. And all of a sudden, there's a, a decree for taxation. You've got to go back to your, uh, kind of to your, to your fathers, to your heritage. Go back to that main city. And so for them, it was traveling from Nazareth to Bethlehem, about a 90 to 100-mile trip. And so there they are traveling, 100 to 90 miles or so, traveling from Nazareth to Bethlehem. She's at least about nine months pregnant, having to travel that distance. And then they get there, and because all the crowds have come for taxation, there's no room in any of the hotels, motels around there. So the only thing they've got is a cave where they keep the animals, and so they allow them to stay in that cave. And as they're there in that cave, then she gives birth to Jesus, and she gives birth to Jesus. Then she wraps him up in these cloths, and she doesn't have a bassinet, doesn't have a crib. She just places him in a feeding trough that we call a manger. And there they are, Mary and Joseph, just given birth, which Joseph had to deliver. There was no midwife there. There was no family there. There was no beautiful decorated nursery there. He just were in a cave with a bunch of animals, and we got this newborn baby, and it's laying in a, in a feeding trough. Now, I just think that Mary and Joseph, we, we cannot elevate them to such a point that they're not even human. She's a teenager, and he may not be a whole lot older than that. And as they've walked through all this, it would only be natural if they didn't begin to wonder, is this truly God's child? I wonder if they began to ask that question. Because you see, if you're saying this is God's child, are you telling me this was God's setup? Are you telling me that God wanted his son born in this cave? Wouldn't God have called in and made reservations early at the end? I mean, wouldn't he have had us a nice place that we could have stayed? And what's up with this manger? What's up with this feeding trough that I've got to place my baby in? And how come there's no family here? And where's my mom? And where's my dad? And why aren't they here? And what about all those beautiful things that we bought? We prepared for this baby. None of that. And so there's got to be a little bit of a doubt, even in the joy of this birth of this child, to say, is this really God's son? Maybe this pregnancy was some freak of nature. And so maybe this joy of the birth could be tempered with the wonder is this really the Son of God? And see, some of you would say, oh, but Danny, listen, they were visited by an angel. Yes, an angel visited them, gave them both the story, explained some of the details. Yes, it was an immaculate conception. Yes, when she visited her cousin who was, who was pregnant with John the Baptist, that she affirmed the child that was in Mary's womb as the Savior. Yes, all of those. And so some of you would say, well, how could they possibly question all this from God? Well, let me ask you this. How often have we prayed for something and God clearly revealed what we were to do or where we were not to do, and we got this clear word from God and we praised him? Yet only a few weeks or months later, we began to question if it really was God. You ever been there? Maybe that really wasn't God that was telling us this. Maybe we misunderstood. 
Or how about that healing that happened? And, and, and we gave God the glory for it, but then we, when we thought about it, maybe that, that wasn't so much him. Or what about the provision that we prayed for, and all of a sudden, this blessing, financial blessing or job blessing happened? And then after the months, we began to look back over and say, well, I don't know, maybe that, maybe that wasn't it. Or, or maybe it's that particular direction that we had that we thought was an answer to prayer. Now we're not really sure of that. And do we ever find ourselves trying to explain away miracles and, and the miracles of healing, provision, and guidance? And we find ourselves exactly where Mary and Joseph were. We've heard words from the Lord. We've had guidance and direction. We've seen his hand. But then after time, we began to say it's not working out like I thought it would, so maybe it wasn't God after all. And what you need is an hallelujah moment for God to reaffirm, to say, yes, this is me, and this was me, and this was correct. And it came in the form of some shepherds. If you got your Bibles open in Luke chapter 2, verse 15, remember it says the shepherds are out there kind of watching their flocks, and all of a sudden here came these angels. And, uh, and it says that an angel came and it spoke to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy be for all the people. And then all of a sudden there was a host of angels. And after they saw this host of angels, I, I love what they said in here. In verse 12 it says, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And then suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And verse 15 says, and when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And so they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. I'm going to, I'm going to drive home manger. Are you ready? The angel said, hey, you're going to see this baby. It's wrapped in swaddling clothes, nothing unique about that, and lying in a uh, feeding trough. They call it a manger, okay? So it says they went out, and they're looking all over the place. There's got to be a baby here born somewhere. Note that how many babies there are there in, in Bethlehem. There's got to be a baby born somewhere. Well, let's look for somewhere that may have a feeding trough. And then all of a sudden they find it, and it says the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And when they saw it, they made known the saying. What it means is they saw Mary and Joseph, and they said, you're not going to believe what happened. And they began to tell them the story. And they said, we're out there. In, in the fields. And one angel comes up and says, uh, there's a child born, it's going to be a savior of the world. Then all of a sudden there's a whole glory, a host of angels and they're all singing and saying all this great stuff. And then they told us over here that they said, glory to God in the highest peace on earth among men. And they said that we could come and find the baby in the manger. It's almost as if, if God is saying, I picked that out myself. I picked out the manger. Hey, I want you to go look in the manger. Now, Mary over here, she's not real happy because she's put it in this trough, this feeding trough. But God says, hey, I picked the manger out. That's my choice. It's my, my pick. And now all of a sudden they're telling the story and they said, and guess what? God said the baby will be in a manger. And all of a sudden Mary perks up and says, I think I like that better than the bassinet I chose. He's in the manger. Everything that God told us is true. And I'm telling you as shepherds, this is the story angels told us. Wow. So how does Mary respond to that? Mary responds to that 
in verse 18, verse 19. And it says, but Mary treasured up all these things. She treasured up. It's a word that means to guard from loss. It means to keep it in mind, lest it be forgotten. It means to write it in a journal. Today, it would be to post it on Facebook. And you post it on Facebook so that the memory will come back to you every year on that particular day and say, hey, do you remember this? Yes. I've got it posted. I've got it journaled. I'm treasuring it up. And then it says, she treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Pondering them in her heart. Pondering means to put one thing in, in, in connection with another thing. And so it's like you're lining all these things up, pondering them in her heart. She is thinking about what did the angels tell me nine, nine months ago? What did they say? And what are these guys saying? And she begins to put it all together, and she puts it together, and all of a sudden she says, wow, this is true. It's exactly right. Everything that was told me before this child was born is true, and now it has been affirmed. It was an hallelujah moment for her and for Joseph. Because the shepherds affirm the fact that this baby is God's son. Hallelujah moment. Wow. It's that reaffirmation. But you know, after the baby's born, they move out of the cave and they find a place to live there in Bethlehem and try to get settled, settled down. And so now for the next 40 days, they have their newborn child. Now any of you who've had a baby and your, very, your first child, okay, your first child. Now, I'm not going to do a counseling session for those that are third, fourth, fifth, okay. It only happens with the first. Are you ready for this? This is why there are tons of video of the first child, and then those who come later, it gets less and less, all right. And if you're like fourth or fifth, if you get a snapshot of you, that just count that as a blessing, all right. But the reason is, is because when that first child is born, you're just, you're marveling. And you find yourself just staring at it, don't you, parents? Just kind of help me with it. You're just staring. And then you get that video camera. Now, for us, it was a video camera. Today, you just got your phone. Uh, but, you know, for us, you got the big camera out there. And we would set that camera, and we would video Lauren for hours at a time. And then we'd go back and go in the bedroom, and we'd watch it again. And we'd stare. And then after 12 minutes, she went, ugh. We went, incredible. Did you see the way that she did that, that move? And you're just staring at them. Now, don't you think they did the same thing? And they're sitting there and they're staring at this baby and, uh, and just looking at it and going, oh, wow, wow. And then after about 40 days, are you, you know, kind of sitting there during the day and Joseph and Mary talking and saying, you know, I'm kind of looking for some deity in him and I'm not seeing it. Um, you know, there's really nothing, nothing out of the ordinary. When he's hungry, he cries. Some nights he sleeps good. Some nights he doesn't. And we got to change that diaper uh, pretty constantly. <laughs> Sometimes, whoa, son of God. Whoa, that's rough. Uh, but, I, I mean, I mean, what, what, tell me what is the difference at 40 days than the neighbor's babies over here? I don't see anything different. Do you really think this is the son of God? And you see, at that same time, God gives them another hallelujah moment. For Jewish families, there were two ceremonies you had with your children. Day eight, 
your child would be circumcised. Then 33 days after that, when you get up to 40 days, there was a purification ceremony for the mother. And it is that, that the mother and the husband and the children would travel to Jerusalem and they would go to the temple and they would take a sacrifice, like two doves or two pigeons, present that sacrifice. And as they present a sacrifice for all of our sins, a sin offering, then it was a time of purification. So then ceremonially, she would be clean again. And so every Jewish family did this. And this is what they did. And they made their way to Jerusalem. However, this one was very unique because in chapter 2, you come to verse 25 and you're introduced to a man by the name of Simeon. And it says in verse 25, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Is that not amazing? What we have in Scripture may have been the only person that there was going to be a revelation that they told him, you will not die before you see the coming Messiah. And so every time when he would go into the temple, he's probably just kind of looking around, seeing, kind of seeing what's going on. And then all of a sudden, look what it says. Verse 27, and he came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him in his arms, and he blessed God, and he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel and his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. Listen, we're doing what every Jewish family does, and at 40 days, we're coming into the temple and we're going through the purification uh, ceremony. And all of a sudden, this man walks up and says, Can I hold your child? And you say, Yes. And you hand him his child, and he takes a look at that baby, and he begins to give this word of prophecy. And he begins to say he's the Savior for the Gentiles and, all, and a light to the world. And, and all of a sudden, you as parents are looking up over here and going, how did this man know this? How did he know this? And then when they finish the ceremony, they've got a five-mile journey from Jerusalem back to Bethlehem. Do you not think that while they're walking, they're talking among themselves and they're saying, how did he know this? Everything he said matches up with everything that we have been told. It's an hallelujah moment. This is truly the Son of God. This is truly God's child. And I just personally think it couldn't happen at a better time to be that time of affirmation. Hallelujah moment. Well, they get settled up and baby begins to grow. He gets to be a year old and moving on towards those uh, two-year-old uh, times. And, and as he's growing up and, and they're just kind of doing their work and uh, Joseph's a carpenter and they're settling in over here in Bethlehem and they're getting used to life and, and uh, little Jesus is playing with the other boys around the neighborhood and so you're sitting back looking saying this is the son of God. Now he's a good kid, you know, he's, he, he's great in the neighborhood um, but you know what, he's just not that different. When he f runs and falls, angels don't grab him, he skins his knee up like any other child. He cries like any other, other child. 
His hand-eye coordination is not so much better than anyone else. He's just a, he's just a, normal, a normal child. There's nothing out of the ordinary. When it comes time for bath time and we get ready to put him in the water, he doesn't split the water like the Red Sea. Yeah. And when we're looking for the first words, for the first words, everybody looks for the first words of the child. And I always love to get with parents because you talk to the dad and he says, yeah, first word he said was dad. Yeah. You talk to the mom, yeah, first word he said was mom. I don't know. <laughs> Lauren's first word was dad. But, uh, but you, uh, you always sit there and you want to get that first word out there. And so whatever Hebrew is for mama or daddy, that's probably what he said. He didn't sit there and say, uh, over here when he gets ready to go, and uh, he says, you shall have no other gods before you. Wow, that's a great first word. It should be. He's a son of God. That's what we're expecting. He didn't. He's just ma, dad, whatever. There is nothing extraordinary about this baby. So is this really the son of God and what is deity supposed to look like on there? I just need some affirmation. And guess what? God gave it to him. Matthew chapter 2. If you turn over to Matthew chapter 2. When Jesus is over one year of, old, of age and probably a little less than two, it talks about the wise men called the magi. These people who had a priestly role, they were studying uh, the stars and medicine and all this kind of stuff over in Persia. And they're well over 600 miles away. They saw a star. And during their day, they believed that some great leader, ruler was going to come. And the star uh, was assigned to them. And they traveled looking for where that star would take them. And in their travels, it took them right there to the home of Joseph and Mary. And it says, and when they got there, it's in verse 11, it says, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. All of a sudden, the wise men came. And these wise men came, and when they came, they told their incredible story to Mary and to Joseph, and their eyes are probably about this wide open that these people have traveled over 600 miles, and then they said, this is the child. This is the child. And they knelt down and they worshiped him. And so mom and dad are standing right there. And what an incredible affirmation to say this truly is the son of God. Truly is the son of God. And then the very next verse, that night, as Joseph is sleeping, an angel came to him and he said, listen, the child's life is in danger. You got to pack up your child and you got to go. You got to go and flee to Egypt. Now, I've read this story a lot of times, and I've never thought about this insight. And you can come back to me and say, Danny, I don't know if that's, that's true or not, but I think it is. It makes a lot of sense to me. Um, okay, God tells Joseph, hey, you got to get up. We got to grab the child. We got to go. Most people think it's about a 40-mile journey uh, to get to Egypt. And the reason to go to Egypt is a different jurisdiction than Herod. Herod's the one that's upset. He's going to send people in to kill every child two years and every male child two years and under there in Bethlehem. And so if we can just get outside his jurisdiction, we'll be okay. So about 40 miles, they travel south. They get into Egypt. Now, you are a carpenter. you got to pack everything up. Where do you have funds to be able to make that trip? Where do you have funds to be able to at least start off there in Egypt? You don't just put your shingle up and everybody comes to you. I just kind of smiled. God gave him the resources. Gold, myrrh, frankincense. He says, 
giving you what you need. So not only did God tell him you got to go, but he even financed the move and said, you're going to be some, spending some time over there. And then I'll get back with you when it's safe and you can come back to this area. I mean, it's an hallelujah moment. And you just think about Mary and Joseph, an hallelujah moment. As soon as the baby was born, God used the shepherds to do that. An hallelujah moment when he's about 40 days old and he uses uh, this older gentleman, a righteous, devout man, to say a word that helped him. There's an hallelujah moment when that child could be anywhere between one and two years of age and he sends three magi six, over 600 miles away to come to knock on their door right before Herod was getting ready to come and he said, this is the child that we have been led to and they worshiped him. It's an hallelujah moment. Well, I began to think about it, and um, the first Christmas was filled with hallelujah moments, but Christmas itself is an hallelujah moment. It is an hallelujah moment. And it's an hallelujah moment in two broad perspectives. Number one, globally, the hope of salvation. Globally, it is the hope of salvation. When you take a look at what Simeon said in chapter 2, if you've got Luke 2, listen to what he said again in verses 30 through 32. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. During that day, Israel was the chosen nation. At that day, salvation was only going to be for those that were Israelites, and yet, when Jesus is 40 days old, a devout man who comes to the temple just about every time the doors are open makes a statement, he is a light for revelation to the Gentiles. They never thought they had any hope. And yet right here, he lets them know, yes, this is the light of revelation. This is salvation that is available to all people of all nations. And he lets her know later on in this verse, that it's almost going to be like a, like a javelin thrust in her heart because he's letting her know that her son's going to die a death and it's going to break her heart to see her son to die a death. And Jesus does exactly that. And that is that for 33 years as he lives his life and he comes to that point to where in his ministry as he has shown us who God is and has taught about him and has talked about what it means to come into a right relationship with him and lets us know that our sin is what's separating us from God. He then goes to the cross himself willingly and he dies for our sins. And as he's suffering on the cross, it's like a javelin going through the heart of his mom because she's having to sit there and watch her son, the son of God, die on a cross and to be there for those six hours agonizing, watching him as the breath slowly leaves his body and the physical suffering that he's going through. Not even can she imagine the spiritual and emotional suffering that's happening at this particular time as God himself has to somehow turn his back on his own son because all the sins of the world are on him. And yet Jesus does all of that. And then when they take his body down after he died and they wrap him up and they place him in a tomb, and three days later, the victory happens to where God raises him from the dead. And Jesus has conquered death and he's conquered sin and he gives us his opportunity to come into a relationship with him. And it's not just for those that live in Birmingham, Alabama. And it's not just for those that live in the South or those that live in the United States. It's for those all around the world. It is global. It is the hope for the world of what Jesus has done. And Christmas is where we begin that story. We began talking about the life of Jesus Christ. 
It is the hope of salvation. So whenever Christmas comes, we should say, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. This is the plan that God started from the beginning of time, and now it's right here. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Globally, it's the hope of salvation, but individually, it means a relationship with God. Individually, it means a relationship with God. This is not just the macro picture, but let's go to the micro picture, and that is it is a relationship with God. And then whenever you think about Christmas and you think about hallelujah moments, you think about a relationship with God and you think of one of two words. Number one, the word is rebirth. Rebirth. When Jesus was teaching, he met a man by the name of Nicodemus, and Nicodemus uh, <clears throat> was a learned Pharisee, and he was asking questions and, uh, about, about how you have these relationships with God, and Jesus told him, Nicodemus, you must be born again. He says, physically, can I do that? He says, no, I'm talking about spiritually. There has to be a rebirth in your life. And so that story that I just told you about Jesus dying on the cross and when he rose from the dead, there then comes a moment where each person gets to make the decision. Do you accept the gift or do you reject the gift? And if you desire to accept the gift, the way the Bible calls it is it says there is a rebirth that has taken place. The old things are passed away and behold, all things are new. You are a new creation. You're totally new. It is you must be born again. There is this rebirth that takes place. And that's the hallelujah moment of Christmas. Is whenever a sinner prays a prayer to where he says, Christ, I want you to come into my life. I'm repenting of my sins and I don't want to live my life anymore. I'm going to live my life for you. And when that happens, it says the angels rejoice and it is an hallelujah moment. And for those that are followers of Christ, you can go back and think about that day, that time when you made that decision. And what a time of praise it was. And you say, hallelujah, praise the Lord for this. It's a time of rebirth. But for a lot of us in here, we've had that experience. We've accepted Christ as our Savior. And every year when Christmas comes, I would hope it would be an hallelujah moment of reaffirmation of reaffirmation. What happened during that Christmas that we just talked about, that, <clears throat> that first Christmas, there were reaffirmation. There wasn't new information given, it was reaffirmation. To where God used shepherds, he used a devout uh, elderly man, and he used some wise men to be his tool, his voice of reaffirmation, to say, this is right. This is true. This is the Christ child. And as you follow this Christmas story, you're going to see where God reaffirmed his will and his plan over and over and over. There are times when he could have wavered and God came in and he reaffirmed his plan. There were times when he could have hesitated and God reaffirmed his plan. What do you think would have happened if the Magi had not come uh, on, that <clears throat> on that day and uh, gave their gifts and told Mary and Joseph, this is the child that they had traveled over 600 miles to see. And if that night the angel spoke to Joseph and said, your child's in danger, you need to go. Would Joseph have, have awakened and said, you know, I haven't heard from that angel in about a year and a half or so. Do you really think that was it, Mary? Do you think maybe I just, uh, you know, kind of had some bad pita bread or something and, uh, and I, I was a little upset. Maybe I was just thinking. Maybe I just need to wait for another sign. And if he had waited, he would have endangered the life of his son. 
But he didn't wait because God had already reaffirmed through the wise men. Hallelujah moments. Christmas hallelujah moments are reminders that God does the same for us. That there are times when doubts creep in and our faith wavers and then God discloses himself in a special way to reaffirm our faith. There are times when we'll be asked to take a major step of faith, a major disruption in our life, and God does something to reaffirm his presence and his omnipotence. God actively reaffirms what he has told you and how he has guided you and directed you. Hallelujah moments, God reminds us of the importance of relationships. At Hallelujah moments, God reminds us of the consequences of eternity. During Hallelujah moments, God reminds us of the incredible value of every day, that we are to live every day for him. Hallelujah moments. You say, well, Danny, how did these come? How did these hallelujah moments come? I'm going to make it real easy for you to remember. I'm going to just share with you just some real quick bullet point on the way God uses hallelujah moments. Are you ready? Number one is setbacks. Setbacks. God uses setbacks to get our attention, to give us an hallelujah moment. You've heard the, the, the statement has been made, I was knocked down so low that the only place I could look was up. And sometimes that happens. For we've got to get knocked down so low that the only thing we can do is look up. And as we look up to him and we begin to trust him, there's this incredible hallelujah moment that happens. And we go, yes, Lord. And then amazingly, we thank him for the setback. Because if you had never knocked me down, I would have never gotten to this position with you. So sometimes God uses setbacks. Number two, sometimes God uses success. Sometimes God uses success. To where all of a sudden you are blessed, it may be financially, it may be with your job, it may be in your family, whatever it may be, but you have, have achieved some level of success. And when you get to that and you stop for a moment, you go, this is an hallelujah moment. I'm a blessed man, a blessed woman, a blessed teenager. And just thank you, Lord. And God will use those successes then to come back and for you to drive it down to where the focus is not on me or on my achievement or my accomplishment, but about on my heavenly father. And so through success, you can have some hallelujah moments on there and say, praise God, man, we give you the honor and the glory for this. But it also comes with service and that is just serving others. Sometimes what happens is God gets our attention by serving others. We can get so into who we are that we leave God out of the equation that all of a sudden when we begin to serve others God opens up our eyes to say do you not know what I've been doing in your life do you know the things I've provided for you and at that moment we get an hallelujah praise the Lord uh, best story of that is Jeremy Horton Jeremy Horton's on our staff uh, associate to minister to in our children's uh, ministry and I love it when he tells his testimony and when he got ordained not too long ago and he shared his testimony about growing up in a family, they would go to church and stuff, but his dad really wasn't a believer. And um, he said he was a good man, but just, just not a believer. And all of a sudden, his mom wanted to go on some mission trip. It was going to be an international mission trip. And they needed the skill set that his dad had. And so they went and said, will you go with us? He said, no, I don't want to go. And then they just kept pestering and pestering. And finally said, okay, I'll go. I don't really want to go, but I'll go. So he goes. And in his testimony, when he gets there and he sees what's going on, 
all of a sudden, it's like God just got a hold of his life and it gripped him in such a way that he began to see Christ in a whole new light, began to see what God had called him to do in a whole new light. And I think my favorite part of all the testimony is Jeremy said that when his mom and dad came back from that trip, when his dad walked in the house, he was a new man. He said, he was a totally different man. Yes, he was still my father. Yes, he looked the same. But there was something inside of him that was different. And then he set a trajectory and a course for the rest of his family for these, these last number of years. Because he was sold out to God. And what happened? He had an hallelujah moment in a service play, a place of service that God got a hold of his life and it changed him for the rest of eternity. It can happen. Hallelujah moments. Sometimes they're setbacks. Sometimes they're successes. Sometimes they're service. And sometimes it's solitude. Sometimes it's solitude. You know, sometimes people tell me, I just haven't heard God. I said, have you ever taken time to listen to him? Because our lives are so busy. It's almost as if we say, God, I'm, I'm here to hear you. Hold just like, let me check this text over here. Okay, God, you just speak to me. Bzz, bzz, bzz. Oh, okay, I just, I just it, not, not that not important on there. Oh, ooh, really? Okay, let me talk to you. Something. Just one second. How can God ever speak to us? Solitude. Just getting away from the daily grind of life. Take a notebook and a pen and a Bible. And just go off. That's what people talk about fasting in solitude. When you fast, it's not just so that you just don't eat a meal. Maybe you can lose a pound or two. It's because you fast and instead of spending that time eating that meal, you just spend that time with God. It could be those moments of solitude. And in those solid moments of solitude, there could be a hallelujah moment. Now, you know, we, we, we got a great staff. And, uh, but I'm telling you. Got a great staff hire with Todd Lafferty. As Todd as Susan's come on onto our staff. You know how where his name came to me? Week of study at the beach in solitude. I had been praying. I knew the position, put all these things together. I looked at it and just like who and who who in all of your creation could fill exactly what we're looking for? And I can still see it today where I was. Studied it all day, went out that afternoon, sat on the beach, and I was sitting there in the chair, and it says Todd Lafferty. I said, That's it. <laughs> Hallelujah. I will call him. And I told others, I said, will he accept? He has to. God gave me the word. It was it. <laughs> and he did. And he came. It's an hallelujah moment. And God's going to share some things with you in solitude. When you just get away from him, all of a sudden, God's going to make it clear, you know, there's a certain direction I need to go in my life. Maybe there's a certain person I need to talk to. Maybe there's a certain relationship that I need to repair. Maybe I need to be different to my spouse. Maybe I need to be different to my kids. Something God has spoken to me, and there's this hallelujah moment, and I'll never be the same again because of that. It can happen through that, and it can just happen through Scripture. It can happen through Scripture, just reading God's Word. And in reading God's Word, He can speak to you, and you say, this is an hallelujah moment. And it may be that you read it, or it could be in a service, it could be in a Sunday school class. It could be in a discipleship small group where someone reads some passage of Scripture, and all of a sudden, it speaks to you. And there's this hallelujah moment. I've shared this, this story, uh, I know, a number of times about, about the seminary uh, when Janice and I decided to um, leave the business world and go to seminary. And, and, 
if you knew exactly how I am wired, it was a, it was a little bit more difficult decision just because of who I am and how I was brought up. I was brought up in a generation, and many of you can relate to this, to where when you got out of college and you went to work for a company, you would work for them until you retired. Y'all remember those days? And you would usually go with a big company, maybe the power company, phone company, insurance company, whatever, and you would stay with them. You would stay with them for 30 years, and then you retire. Today, students change their major at least four times just in the four years they're in college. And then when they got out of college, most of them changed jobs for about four times within their first 10 years or so. I know for a younger generation, this is like crazy for you to think that someone would go to work at a place and stay there all the way until they retire. But see, that's what my dad did. He went to work for Sears and Roebuck, and he stayed there for 25 years, and then he retired. When I graduated in business, I went to work for AT&T for South Central Bell. It's the phone company. And I was going to stay there for at least 30 years and just move my way up in the organization. Maybe one day be a vice president or something. Who knows? But that was my career path. That's what was going to happen. That's how I was wired. And each year I checked the box off to say, hey, you need to do this. And I did that. And I was in that position. Boom, we'll move you to this one. Boom, move you to this one. Uh, get you promoted. Put you over here. Get here. And so I had my path set. I knew exactly. I was checking all the boxes. And then when God got a hold of our life, and he said, no, Danny, there's something different I want you to do. I want you to go into the ministry. There's one thing of saying, let's cut off the paycheck and let's go move. There's another thing to say, take away your dream to make it in this company and do just what your dad did. Everybody did that. Your, your grandfather, he worked for the railroad his entire life. Your dad, he worked for the Sears Roebuck his life. Danny, you're going to be a phone company guy. And, and that I had to put aside. And so, so I put that aside, and we pray about this, and we make this decision, Janice and I together, to say, let's go out here and, and let's do this. We feel this is what God called us to do. And so we, we move, we get ready to move out there. And as we move out there, then Janice is going to have to find a job out there, and we got to find a place to live, and all those hassles. And so I'm moving out there, and God begins to confirm step after step along the way. My old college roommate's living out there, he and his wife, so I, they got an extra room. I get to stay while Janice has to stay in Mobile, and she's got to sell the house. And just the way I'm wired as the man, I just hate to put that on her, and that she has to have that responsibility while I'm separated hundreds of miles from her. That's kind of frustrating. I'm going out of a business mentality into a student mentality, and so now I'm trying to study, hang out in the library. I don't even know if I knew where the library was when I was at Auburn, but, uh, I, <laughs> but I, I found it at Southwestern. And, and so I'm just doing all these, all these things. And so while you're trying to keep in touch and, and, and all this going on, then after about the fifth week of being out there, and, and uh, yeah, I just kind of missed her and I missed home. Began to look at what I was doing. And I just didn't think this was it. You know, maybe I should have gone back and then got back on that, on that career path that, that I had planned out eight and a half years ago. And they have a chapel service there uh, every day. It's about 30 minutes. Number of times I didn't go, had class, had homework I was trying to do, but this one I did. And I walked in, I slipped in, it was the next to last pew in the very back. And the speaker was Dr. Robert Naylor. From 1958 to 78, he had been the president of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. This is 1984. He's 75 years old. He's kind of frail looking. 
He's standing behind that pulpit. And I'm sitting there and I'm saying, there's no word for me today. All I'm trying to figure out is, do I want to stay the course or do I want to pack up and head home? And he reads this verse of scripture and gives a short talk, Luke 9, 62. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Wow. In November of 1983, I put my hand to the plow, sent in my resignation. Said we're moving forward. But in February of 1984, I began to look back. And according to what Jesus said, you're not fit for the kingdom of God. That was like a javelin to the heart right there. And when that moment hit, it was done. There was no turning back. There was a line in the sand, and I walked out of that chapel service. And I remember I contacted Janice, and I said, just wanted to reaffirm we're here. And we're going to pray that house is going to sell, and it does, I'm going to get you back over here. We're gonna, this is our life. This is it. And there's no turning back from here. You see, that was an hallelujah moment I will always remember. God has graced me to be able to see Dr. Naylor at a convention in later years and just to shake his hand, look him in the eyes, and thank him for how God used him. Earlier this year, I spoke at a medical missions event at Sanford, and his daughter, Rebecca Naylor, who has been in missions over in India and other places as, as medical personnel, I got to sit next to her at a table, looked at her, and said, I just want to thank you for your dad and what he did for me. Because I would not be sitting here if God had not used your father to give that word at that time. It was an hallelujah moment. And folks, as we think about this Christmas time, it is a time that is filled with hallelujah moments. And you've got them in your life. And for some of you today, this is your hallelujah moment. This is the service that God has been waiting for you to come and to be a part of because this is when his Holy Spirit is calling you to himself and he's saying now, today, make that change. Go from death to life. This is it. This is the rebirth. And this is where you today can make that decision of praying and say, God, I want you to come into my life. I want to receive your son, this Jesus Christ, and let's begin this incredible journey. But there are others, in fact, a lot of us here, that today is your day for reaffirmation. A day where you take just a few moments and you recall those hallelujah moments. They're there, they're in your heart, and they're in your life. You know they are. For some of you, we're going to take just a moment and give you an opportunity to just thank God for the hallelujah moments in your life. But I also know people well enough, and I know life well enough, that um, some of you are in need of an hallelujah moment. You are trudging through a deep valley of uncertainty, and you desperately need an hallelujah moment. You definitely need a reaffirmation. This Sunday service, this may have been it. Or maybe it's just the beginning. To where you say, God, I really have to 
hear a clear word from you. This is a tough place I am right now. I need that reaffirmation. And so for all of us, what I'd like for you to do, I want you to bow your heads and I want you to close your eyes for just a few moments. I've asked Abby to come and to, to sing over us as we think about hallelujah moments. I don't want your mind to wander to anything out. I just want you to focus on God. I want you to focus on your life. And as you think back through those times of affirmation, those hallelujah moments, that you thank him and you praise him. And just say, hallelujah, Lord, oh, for that time, hallelujah. And for some of you, just in your gut, you're just saying, God, I need that. I need another hallelujah moment. I need some reaffirmation. And there'll be some of you that today will take that rebirth option. And that is, Lord, I want you to enter into my life today. So take these few moments as Abby sings. <laughs>